This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Soshnank. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi williams Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Mike Oresco, he's the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Mindy race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and Today, there is one major story, and that is about the death of NBA legend Kobe Bryant. He died Sunday in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California, along with eight other people. One of the other victims was his 13-year-old daughter. It is really just a very sad story about the people that died on that helicopter. The irony of it is that Bryant spoke with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly right here at Bloomberg. And it was only just a few months ago. Let's listen. You have gone through a transition, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I love that you're an author. Uh, I was reading somewhere that you kind of knew it was time to go, that you were thinking a lot about storytelling. Yeah. Have you always been a writer? I have. I've been practicing writing. I started writing my junior year in high school. And when I got to the NBA, you know, there's a lot of downtime in travel and hotels and things of that sort. So I would just write. And a lot of the things that I, that I used to write were just ads. I would write advertisements. I had an ad agency that I founded. Yeah. And we did a lot of work, won some, some awards for being a small agency. And then when I retired, it was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Well, I don't know. I enjoy writing. And uh, I'll write a film. So I wrote Dear Basketball. Yeah. And, and uh, was very fortunate for that to be successful. And then just continued on. And how is it different from what, you know, how many years you played in the NBA? I mean, what are you learning kind of about yourself in doing this? Well, how, how much I enjoy um, teaching and like passing on information to the next generation, it, it feels much, much better than any championship that can be won because it, it's, it's, it's more lasting, right? If I can do something that inspires a kid in some way or it gets the kid to view something differently in some way, and then he goes through his life, she goes through her life, and then in turn, they inspire someone else. You create this domino effect that is far greater than any championship that can be won. Mm -hmm. Huge that's impact, far, right? Huge, 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 huge. You know, one thing I want to ask you about, and I guess it's kind of near and dear to both of us, but we think about equality in sports. And we've been talking about how tennis seems to have figured it out, mm -hmm. but a lot of other sports haven't. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And that's probably like, I won't say probably, it is our mission uh, to do something about that. I mean, I have four girls, uh, you know, and... The first two are definitely athletes. Mm -hmm. The third one and the fourth one, we'll see, is still too young. But if I had to bet, I'd say they'd be athletes as well. Right. So it's important to fight for that and make sure that when they come of age, that they are ready to get equal pay, right? And fight for what it is that they deserve. Why, it's, why has it been such a struggle, do you think? That's a great question. I do not know. Yeah. It's like, it's like there, there's a lack of investment. You know, I, mm -hmm. I tell you, like, like in basketball, for example, the WNBA. And saying, okay, well, the WNBA is not as popular as the NBA. Okay, well, I can remember the NBA when it first started. And I remember some companies putting a lot of money behind marketing players. Yeah. And through marketing those players, the popularity of the game picked up. You guys are sitting here and saying, okay, you're waiting for the WNBA to become popular. Well, we're waiting on the investment. Right. <laughs> from corporations to start telling the stories of some of these young women That's that have point. unbelievable stories. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable inspirational stories to tell. And they're not being told. Why? Right. And so we're, we're, we're going to get there. 
Kobe Bryant with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly only a few months ago right here at Bloomberg. The thing about Bryant that uh, a lot of people talk about is that he had a very good sense, very good business acumen, and he started this even before he retired from the NBA. Yeah, he, you know, in 2013, a few years before retiring, he co-founded a venture capital firm, Bryant Stiebel. Uh, if you look through the list of their investments, it's a pretty impressive list, right? Dell Technologies, Alibaba, Epic Games, Cholula Hot Sauce, the Players Tribune. It's a list of about 25, almost 30 companies. Uh, and those are those are all brands that he invested in alongside Jeff Steibel and on his own, he, he did investments of his own. So he had, you know, body armor might be the most famous. He put $6 million into body armor in 2014, I think. And, and after Coke bought a majority stake of it, it was worth around $200 million. It's not a bad return on investment. I was going to say, I don't have the exact numbers, but yeah, that's, that's pretty that's good, good ROI. Good. Yeah. yeah. There's, yeah. there's media companies. He won an Oscar recently. He had a best selling children's book. He had yeah, his hand, basketball. he, he had a land, his hand in a lot of different pots. This is the way I framed it, Barr, because not long ago we also lost David Stern, the former right. commissioner of the NBA. And the one thing that David said, if there was an overarching motto or creed for David Stern, it was the relentless pursuit of perfection. That is what he demanded of his employees at the league office. It is what he demanded of the employees at the teams. Now, that is on the business side. On the actual basketball side, I think there's perfect symmetry here in that Kobe Bryant's creed and his work ethic, all in pursuit of the relentless pursuit of perfection. That's what Kobe Bryant wanted. That's what he demanded of himself and sometimes grading on the others who perhaps were less talented or driven than he but also demanded it of his teammates, that relentless pursuit of, of perfection. And you saw the loggerhead sometimes, even with a guy like Shaq, when Kobe would come out and say, well, he's not working hard enough, like he's a little overweight, and that caused problems, but it just didn't make sense to Kobe that somebody would not be in the gym early, would not stay late, because he wanted perfection on the court. Yeah, and the thing of it is, too, is that the hard work ethic that he had carried over to a lot of his teammates, and it made them better players. Not only teammates, uh, kids who were watching him play who are now NBA players. Exactly. There are so many people that watch him today that say Kobe Bryant was our Michael Jordan. I guess that's the best way to describe it, and that's the way they Michael called him like his little brother. Yeah. And it became a large part of Kobe's legacy, both in life and in death, right? The the, the lore of his crazy work everybody seems to have a kobe story right when they they got to the gym at 6 a.m for 10 a.m practice and kobe had been there for two hours or he hurt himself and the next day he's in a cast practicing free throws with his with his opposite hand everyone seems to have a story like that either on the basketball court or in the business world mark parker the former ceo of nike who was very close with kobe you know he's told stories of how often kobe would would call him kobe talked about cold calling Oprah and Ariana Huffington, Johnny Ive. You know, there's a whole list of of business leaders who Kobe continually hounded about their business practices because, like he did in basketball, he wanted to get better. And, yes, there was a complicated past, and, and we all know about it. But one thing people cannot say about Kobe Bryant is that he was, let's put it this way, he was a very good dad. And you ask all Well, you wonder how much around. having 
four girls mm. changed yes. the man. Yeah. Yes. You wonder. I mean, parenthood, we know, Barr, changes you. And for him to have four girls and you see him uh, with his daughter teaching her basketball and teaching life, I mean, we saw that. But, yeah, I don't want to gloss over. I mean, he was accused of sexual assault. Uh, ultimately, the accuser yeah. chose not to testify, uh, reached a civil settlement. Um, but even during that trial, and I was there, Bar, I was at Staples Center. He would fly in from Eagle, Colorado, from trial during the day, and come to Staples Center at night. And there were just a whole bunch of number 24 Kobe jerseys, even on little girls. I was actually amazed at the time. But he was so good as a basketball player. It seemed to just overpower everything else. And Nike stood with him. You wonder how many endorsements it did cost him long term. Sure. We'll never know. But also, Eben, I'm just wondering if we can back of napkin, and I know it's almost impossible to put a number on it because we don't know, but I don't think we're out of bounds to say that Kobe, if on his path of investment for the next 5, 10, 15 years— we are perhaps looking at a billionaire athlete. No, I think you're right. And to go back to, to something you just mentioned, you know, in the wake of that sexual assault allegation and that trial, he lost a number of partners. Yeah. McDonald's cut cut him. Uh, Nutella, I believe, didn't re- renew its contract when it expired. He lost some business opportunities. And we've talked on this show a lot about how kind of the new age of athlete partnership isn't taking money from an endorsement. It's equity. trying to become an investor. Yes, taking equity, being hands-on with the company. Kobe Bryant did that. He was on the cutting edge of it, one of the first athletes to do it. I wonder if part of that was also just out of necessity, right? He became, for a lot of people, in, for a short period of time there, kind of a toxic endorser. That was the only way in. And you that will do it, forced him, yeah. I think, to use his money in a different way, to, to become on the back end, maybe less about the forend. And now, no question, you look at people like LeBron James who are copying that strategy and taking it even further. Look at the lineage, though. I mean, I really like to look at the lineage. Let's say magic. Right. And Kobe certainly learned from magic. And then, you know, and Michael learned from magic. Kobe learned from Michael and magic. LeBron learned from Kobe, Michael and magic. And you see this, this athletes getting it done sooner, getting it done bigger, getting it done better. The goal I get, I get the sense now because of LeBron and Kobe and Michael and magic, the goal now for athletes is not just to be what they would have considered rich when they sign that deal. Like, all right, now I've got my money. I signed my 20, 30, 40, 50 million. It doesn't matter. It's not to be rich because they understand there's another strata. There's an ownership rich. There's a Joe Ty rich. And then there's the I'm a player employee rich. And many, many athletes are now shooting for that ownership rich with an understanding they can utilize the notoriety to get there, mm-hmm. I, I'm, trying, in, I'm sorry. Go ahead. In media, you know, he we talked about the 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 Academy Award he won. He owns the studio, right? You know, Granity Studios. That's that's Kobe Bryant's studio. Um, the book that he, the bestseller that he had, that's underneath his umbrella also. Uh, so all these things, not just investment, but also media. If you own the infrastructure behind the thing, you're a much bigger power player in the entire thing than if you're just the talent. That's operating it. You, you brought up that point earlier about the difference, and Chris Rock said it the best years ago. He said there are a lot of people who are athletes and make a lot of money who are wealthy, but people like Warren Buffett are rich. 
And that's what athletes today, like what Kobe Bryant was trying to do, like what Shaquille O'Neal is trying to do now, to be rich and hit that level. There's a story that happened Sunday that, to me, is is another heartbreaking moment. As you know, Tiger Woods was friends with Kobe Bryant. And he's playing in the final round of the Farmers Insurance Open. And uh, he's out there doing his thing. He didn't know at the time that Kobe Bryant died. So as he's playing, he's hearing chants from the crowd, do it for Mamba. And at the time, he didn't know what the heck was going on. So after the 18th hole is done, his caddy walks up to him. And he says, you know, it gave him the news. And you hear uh, the Tiger Woods say, excuse me. And he was just in disbelief about what happened. And I think disbelief is the right word. And you saw it. At, he was so larger than life that it had to be addressed at the top of the, the Grammy Awards, mm-hmm. particularly because they're in L.A. In LA. Yeah, I, yeah, right I, by the stage. Well, his jerseys, his Center, jerseys are hanging in the rafters. jerseys yeah. are hanging in the rafters there. And the one thing I really loved about Twitter on that day was that you could see the breadth of the man's impact. I, from around the globe, athletes, entertainers, politicians, the president of the United States, the former president of the United States, weighing in. On Kobe Bryant. Another thing we should mention, and you said around the globe there, Scott, Kobe was tremendously popular internationally. He grew up in Italy. He yep. spoke French, he, or he spoke Spanish, he spoke Italian, uh, and especially in China, he was treme- He was essentially, for a, for a decade plus, alongside Yao Ming, the other face of the NBA's push into China, which is, you know, we've covered many times, has been tremendously profitable for the league. But the, but one of the reasons why the NBA and basketball as a sport is so popular in China, Kobe had a massive role in that. Let, let me tell you, I'll give it my quick story of Kobe, and I haven't Great. done this at all. But here's my here's my quick Kobe story that I that I enjoyed the most. One time I'm at Staples Center, and I was talking to Phil Jackson off mm-hmm. on the side. And the funny thing is I learned later, like a bunch of other reporters were angry that I got one-on-one time with Phil Jackson during the playoffs. They, they were like jealous because, you know, why does he get one-on-one time? I'll tell you why. Because you know what I was discussing with Phil? It wasn't the triangle offense. It wasn't anything to do with basketball. We were talking about reparations to the Sioux oh, tribe, okay? okay. Right. So that was just a discussion we were having. And, and Phil's a Montana guy, right? Phil's a Montana right. guy, right. So that that's what we were just getting. And Kobe was kind of nearby, and I and I get that he kind of heard what was going on. So then Phil, you know, exit stage left, and I'm talking to Kobe. And once again, it had nothing to do with basketball, but I was always interested in sort of the you know the Phil Jackson gives books to players, right? And I asked him, and this is how I knew I've, I've told the story before. Um, like, well, what what was the book he gave you that had the biggest impact? And he said, Sun Tzu, The Art of War. And I'm like, all right, I've read it. What did you get from it? Or did he tell you? He said, no, no, Phil never told you why he gave you, why he gave you a particular book. Phil wanted you to extract whatever the lesson you thought should be. So that was I'm brilliant of Phil. And the lesson Kobe took from that book was, if you're the general of the army and the troops are out in the rain, you can't have a tent. If you have a tent and the troops are getting wet, They will not respect you. They will not follow you. You cannot lead with special privileges. 
because it's been known, a couple of athletes, uh, can I stay an extra day off? I want to be in New York with the shoot a commercial. Phil wanted Kobe to know you cannot get anything that the other guys don't get. The team will not function like that. That's a very good lesson. Got it. Very good. Yeah. Uh, let's shift gears for a moment. Let's talk about a brand new golf venture. What's going on with this here? Yeah, Eben, you, you and I were sort of getting a, a quick glimpse at this. Something in the golf world where there's going to be the best of the best playing 54 holes, and it's sort of tournaments, and uh, the prize money is what really got our eye. Yeah, so this British-based group, World Golf Group, it's been rumored, they've been talking about this for a couple of years now, uh, is, is looking into starting uh, the Premier Golf League, the PGL, starting in 2022. And as you said, it seems like the model is maybe smaller fields, Three rounds instead of four. Which no, makes no sense to me. I just no want to cut. see the best players. Exactly, yeah. uh, and and high prize money, ten million dollars uh, for for each tournament. So it sounds wow. like the the opening season may be eighteen events, ten overseas or eight overseas. 10 in the U.S. And nobody's really out of it because you're like, there's an in, you, there's the individual winner of the tournament and the team winner of the yeah, tournament. Yeah, and it's unclear exactly how, one, how big these fields are going to be. Right. Two, the big thing, that hit, the big question mark, can they get people to play in this? Right? If this is Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spe- if this is all the big names, fantastic. I imagine this is going to be a big property. And if none of the big names want to break away from the PGA Tour or can't find time in their calendar to do this, you know, then this is something that's going to struggle. You know, it, it strikes me that it feels very similar to what Paul Rabel is trying to do with a similarly named Premier, Premier Lacrosse yeah, League, exactly. which is that, you know, take a, maybe a new model, challenge an incumbent who's been in this space for a very long time, PGA Tour, and hope that the big names in the sport recognize that you're trying to build something a little different that might be more profitable or might be better for them and hope that they are going to migrate over to your property. You know what would work if you are able to include men and women playing together mm. in the the whole league. Now, I would Good love idea, to Bart. see that. Good idea. Yeah, Bart. no, I like that. And and you know, the a couple years ago on Thanksgiving when Tiger and Phil did that one-on-one showdown for nine million dollars, you know, I think about a million people ended up pay per view or, or watching that uh, on a variety of different uh, on a variety of different channels. That feels like possibly the future. I think a lot of people look at the golf model right now and see the way that the European Tour and the PGA Tour work, which is you know all these tournaments, a lot more than maybe people want to watch. Huge fields, people get cut. You end up watching no names sometimes on Saturday and Sunday and thinking, you know, this is a star-driven sport like anything else, and maybe we should devise a system in which you see more of the stars. Well, speaking of Rabel, he texted me while I was driving this weekend in the torrential downpour. <laughs> And I'm going to test and see if he's listening, but I'm not going to sell him out. He had a suggested change for the show. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to see if we can make it happen Get rid of Barr? <laughs> no, 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 no. He loves you, Barr. He loves you, Barr. Uh, do it in Spanish once a week? No, no, no. No fue eso. He, he loves you, Barr. But let's let's see if Paul's listening to the end of the show here. But, he, you know, I, I couldn't really text because, you know, I was driving, so I had my son texting him back. He texted back, water dogs greater than Atlas, you know. So. Great. <laughs> Cuter. <So. Yeah. laughs> all, all good. We'll see what we can do for you, Paul. Oh, man. You've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, and we're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday for you. 
and each at the same time talking to some of the biggest names in sports and also talking about some of the biggest topics that's taking place in sports. And if you want to reach me on Twitter, you, don't. you can follow me. <laughs> oh, was that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> you kept was you said a, whoops. You said the thought part out whoops. loud. Uh at Big Bar Sports. Big Bar. You can follow me at Novi underscore Williams. And you can follow me at Sashnik. Thanks very much for listening and tune in at the end of the week when we once again speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world wherever you get your podcast. <laughs>